Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Great to see you here. Great to see you here. And uh, we are in our uh, third weekend in our series that we're calling uh, We Can Work It Out, uh, Resolving Personal uh, Conflict. And uh, we've been uh, working on this, and we do this because uh, we believe that because we have uh, God has made it possible for us to be reconciled with him uh, through the person and work of our Lord Jesus and our faith in him. He enables us and makes it possible for us to be reconciled with each other. He commands it and he enables us uh, to do this. And so we are on a journey, six-week journey together, of opening the Bible to see from him and his word how we go about living this way, how this is uh, possible. And so uh, we are now uh, three weeks in, and um, so we're going to go to work. Now, uh, I want to remind you, in your bulletin, we've given you one little note sheet there. It may not be enough, but there's a a note sheet there. And uh, in in this message today, I'm going to take you to several passages of Scripture that instruct us and inform us uh, from God about how we uh, go about living together with him in this fashion. And uh, so I want you to jot down those references because I won't be in just one passage today, several places. But we're going to begin with uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 15. So either open or turn on your Bible, whichever one that works for you. If you've got a hard copy or digital copy, Matthew chapter 18, and put your finger there. We'll come back to that in just a second. But we are going to get to work. And we're going to get to work because all of us have personal conflict. It's the nature of this life. It's the nature of uh, being an imperfect, sinful, fallen human being in need of a Savior living on a planet with several billion of those very same kinds of uh, people. We're going to have personal conflict. The difference between God's ways and the rest of the, the culture is not that one has conflict and one does not. It's in how we handle and respond to the conflict. That is radically different. So let me remind you. Uh, there are there are uh, two ways that human beings most naturally respond uh, to uh, interpersonal conflict, uh, and both of them are bad. But we we tend to have a default setting of one or the other. We tend to do both, but one of them more than the other. The first is to fight. Someone wounds us. We find ourselves in conflict. Well, we we jump in and we fight. We attack. Um, uh, we've been calling that peace breaking, the, the desires to win over an opponent. The other is to, to flee, either fight or flee. Just, whoop, there's conflict, I'm out of here, I'm abandoning the relationship or acting like it just never existed. Uh, that's peace faking. Well, both of those are uh, destructive, may even sinful, uh, not God's ways. It's what we tend to do naturally, but they are not... God's ways. I have been guilty of both, and I'm always tempted by one or the other when I find myself in personal conflict. And so remember, God has a third way, not peace-faking, not peace-breaking, but peace-making. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, the peacemakers, he intends, are to be every human being that follows him. 
We are to be uh, those who learn and practice peacemaking. And if we want to make the world a better place, that'd be a darn good place to start. So uh, we remember from the last two weeks, we, um, we, when we find ourselves in conflict, uh, we move into peacemaking by asking st- strategic questions. And we've identified two of those, and here they are. First of all, um, we make the choice to glorify God by asking this question. Here it is on the screen. How can I glorify the Lord in this situation? We, we with God's help and by His grace, the presence and power of His Spirit working within us, instead of just reacting wrongly, destructively... We stop and ask the question, how can I glorify the Lord in this situation? Because I'm committing to glorify God. Changes our perspective immediately. Now, if you missed that message, we took a, a whole 30, 35 minutes to unpack what that looks like and how to go about that. You can go listen to it uh, on our website. Second strategic question we ask is this. We make a choice to uh, clean out our own eyes as Jesus said, by asking this question, how have I contributed to this conflict and what do I need to do? So rather than doing the natural, you are the problem, what's wrong with you, you're causing me trouble, we stop and ask, okay, what's my part in this conflict? How do I go about, what have I done to contribute to this and what now do I need to do? We went to uh, the words of Jesus again in the Sermon on the Mount last week where he With old ancient Jewish humor, humor by exaggeration, he said, when you're in a conflict, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own, a plank in your own. And first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then let's see about taking the speck out of your brother's. In other words, stop and do self-examination and uh, clean out our own eyes. We do so by asking that question. So today, I want us to move to the third step in peacemaking or the third behavior that we practice as a, a lifestyle when in conflict, the third step in working it out together of resolving conflict, and it is this, jot it down, caring enough to confront. Caring enough to confront. Now, here's the, here's the big point. You can with the help of Christ, by His grace and the power of His Spirit, you can resolve personal conflict in, in your life if you'll do these, take these three steps. First of all, choose to glorify God. Clean out your own eyes. Take responsibility for your own contribution. I take responsibility for my own contribution. Or third, where we're going to camp out today, care enough to confront uh, the situation. Uh, take a look at the, the verse that I mentioned earlier, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus, and here's what he says about this matter. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. He's talking about caring confrontation, caring enough to confront. Now, does that sound enjoyable? No, of course not. I don't want, I don't want uh, helpful confrontation. I don't want destructive confrontation. I just don't want confrontation. My tendency is let's just act like it doesn't exist, but that's the bad thing. Care enough to confront. Sometimes peacemaking requires caring gracious confrontation. So, so instead, remember, of 
pretending that the conflict doesn't exist instead of talking about our opponent behind their backs to other people. We care enough to confront them just between uh, the two of us. And we do this by taking three actions. Now, this is what I want. Here's the strategy. This is God's strategy for how we go about uh, doing this kind of confrontation. And the first is this. Jot it down. We choose to overlook minor offenses. We choose to overlook minor offenses. Uh, God's Word says in Proverbs nineteen eleven, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is a magnificent thing for you to overlook an offense. It's a wonderful thing for me to overlook an offense. Look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. The last part of that verse says this, Love covers uh, over a multitude of sins or overlooks a multitude of sins. If I'm a loving person, what that looks like uh, interpersonally, relationally, is I tend to cut people some slack. I tend to allow them to have a bad day every now and then. Now, if it's a bad decade, that's another matter. We might, you know, we're going to come back to the de- the bad decade people in our lives in just a moment. But uh, we 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 allow each other to have a a bad day. The, the when the when the New Testament gives in the all the big list of one another's and each other's of how we're to relate to each other in the family of God. One of the one great one another's is bear with one another. That means you you just overlook minor offenses. Do you, do you have a trouble with that? Somebody don't leave me hanging here. I'm the only one. Yeah. I, yeah. Why? Some of you have been born and created naturally, wonderfully as part of being created in the image of God. You have a well-developed, robust sense of justice. And from, I didn't think that would be funny, but it was. And so uh, I guess maybe you're thinking about your spouse and you're giggling. Yeah, they might have one. And so from your earliest uh, uh, years, some of the first words that you learned to speak coming out of your mouth is, that's not fair. Yeah, you you easily sense injustice. And because we're self-centered, naturally left ourselves, we tend to sense injustice toward us, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And and then, you're, sadly, most of you were born in America, which means that you're taught that, well, by all means, you're to stand up for your rights. Now, not necessarily our responsibilities, but you are to stand up for your rights. And nobody's going to step on my toes. Nobody's going to run over me. Nobody's going to, buddy, nobody's going to take advantage of me. <laughs> you know, it, there's this deep sense of fairness and justice, but it's usually about taking care of me. Uh, you know, we have eye trouble. Me, myself, and I trouble. And, uh, and so that's what we tend, uh, uh, tend to do. But God says when we are loving, when we're becoming more and more like Jesus, He creates in us, not only creates in us, but He expects us to overlook minor offenses. And uh, look, take a look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Well, how are you doing with that? Uh, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love, because of the love of God uh, poured out in our hearts through Christ Jesus. Uh, we are very, very much like God. You are, you, you, you are very, very much like God, anyone is, when they overlook minor offenses in other people. 
Uh, Listen to this. God is described this way by the psalmist in Psalm 103, uh, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. So, so since God does not always deal harshly with us every single time we disobey Him, He says, I expect you, human beings, you and you Christians, you followers of me, to uh, treat others in similar fashion. That's why He commands now here's, doesn't that sound like good counsel? Doesn't it sound like a good thing to do and be? Sure it does. Here's the problem. Nobody lives up to this. Nobody lives up to this all the time. All the time. And so if we don't live this perfectly, what are we? We're, we're, we're breaking God's will in ways. And so what this, what this does to those of us who are followers of Christ is it reminds us that we are, this is why we needed a Savior. This is why we needed Jesus. This is why our hope is in Jesus. He reminds us, okay, left on your own, you can't do this. You can't do this. You need me. You need me. And he says, and, I, and come back to me. Remember the gospel. So here's the, where, say, well, where does the power come for me who tends to, not be able to overlook an offense and I find myself never covering over a sin and I'm hardly ever humble or gentle or patient or make allowance for others' faults because of my love. How do I become that kind of person? Well, there's a big long answer to that, but let me give you just a short one today. We follow Christ. We trust in His Word that His Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that He is at work in us both to desire and do what pleases Him. He places the want to to live this way, and he will enable us to do so. And then there's a, 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 a spiritual practice that helps us do this by remembering the love of God poured out in our hearts through Christ Jesus and dwelling on his gospel, dwelling on what Christ did for us and remembering that uh, the, the gratitude in our heart grows and our heart transforms and he turns us into the kind of people who more naturally by the power of his spirit behave this way when the opportunity comes. Uh, Three years ago, in our fall spiritual growth campaign, church-wide, we we studied uh, and read a book uh, together by J.D. Greer called The Gospel Revolution. And in that book, J.D. gave us uh, a little spiritual practice, a tool that he calls a gospel prayer uh, that we can pray just to remind ourselves of of, of how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God poured out on us in Christ Jesus and the effect that it's had on our lives and therefore be transformed by it. I just want to remind you of this. I've got it on the screen. You can jot it down, but I recommend you make this one of your daily prayers, one of the daily meditations of your heart to remind you of what Christ has done in us and will keep doing through us. Take a look at it on the screen. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, because I am in you, That means because I am saved, because I've uh, repented of my sin, placed my trust in you as my Savior, surrendered my life to you as your Lord. Because I am in Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. 
Lord, your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Since you have treated me this way, I will treat others the same way. Now, this is since he treated me this way, not only I will, but he will enable us to do so. And as I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Lord, do you love me enough to enable me to do this? Well, how much did he love you? Well, he died for you on the cross. Lord, um, do you have enough power to overcome my natural tendencies toward self-centeredness and uh, destruction? Well, how much power did he have? He rose from the dead. Yep, thinking handle my little shriveled up hard heart and how I relate to other people. This is just one spiritual practice I'd encourage you to, uh, uh, to put into place to help you in this uh, journey as well. So you can resolve the, the conflict by graciously um, confronting your opponent, opponent, first of all, by overlooking their offenses. But again, if the offense is not minor... If, it, if the offenses are seriously harming you and, and other people, we take the second step. Jot this down. Talk directly and graciously with those whose offenses are too serious to overlook. Uh, directly and graciously. That's, that's, re, that's essential. That's essential. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him Gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Circle that word gently. Gently. Now, uh, gentle, that word gentle does not mean wimpy, does not mean wimping out. Gentle is a word that means uh, great power uh, wielded uh, graciously. It's power under control. And so we, we come to our opponent in... Um, uh, very, very gently, tentatively, but the verb tense here speaks of continuous action. So this is not just a one-time thing. It's repeated, gentle, gracious, direct attempts to reconcile uh, the problem, to be reconciled. Because if you go with a heart that's not ready to be reconciled, you're going in the wrong attitude. Because the point here is a reconciliation of the relationship. That's what God wants. Uh, That's what he always says. And so we do this by speaking the truth in love is the way the scripture describes it. Look at Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Speak the truth in love. Now, here in the part of the deep south, in the part of the country I grew up in, there are those of us who pride ourselves and say, I always speak my mind. I always say what I mean. Usually that means you're speaking inappropriately, right? I mean, come on, right? We kind of brag about that. You know, you're, yeah, you get it off your chest, but vomit it all over everybody else's. That's the kind of way it, the kind of way that works. No, no, no. We speak the truth, Jesus says, but we speak it in love with the intent of healing and reconciliation and uh, gracious. Now, one of the ways we do this is when we're in a conflict, we talk directly to the person that we're in conflict with and not everybody else. Here's the short little axiom. Talk to people, not about them. Write that down. Got that? Got that? Talk to people, not about them. Now, 
my natural tendency, if I'm in a conflict with someone, because I want to justify myself usually, I mean, because how could I be wrong, right? I say that, uh, is, is if someone wounds me or I'm in conflict and I, I go to a, a close uh, trusted friend or two and say, you know, so-and-so did this and I'm trying to, and it kind of couch it, how should you think I should go about, I already know how to go about this. What's that do? When you talk to someone else, you're just you're building alliances. You're giving other people an opportunity to sin by taking up an offense that is none of their business. It's always destructive, never helps, dishonors God, hinders reconciliation, spreads it around where it shouldn't go. So we talked to people not about them. You go to them directly. That's a loving, gracious thing to do. So you go to them, uh, not behind their back. You avoid reckless, harsh words. Speak the truth how? In love, not, not harsh words. And as a matter of fact, let your words be few. Look at this. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is wise. Let your words be few. Here's a great prayer to pray about your own words before you go into one of these conversations. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It's on the screen. Here it is. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. You say, well, I I don't know how I should always answer each person. That's why we pray this prayer. Lord, my speech is not always gracious. My my speech is not always seasoned with salt. In other words, tasty to the people's ears. It's not wise. It's not helpful typically. Uh, Help me. Help me. Now, here's a deep prayer when you're in one of these things. Here's a deep prayer, pretty significant. Just say, Lord, help me. He will. Help me. He understands what that that means. So speak with patience. Speak with gentleness. in the book of James, the Bible says we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I tend to do the opposite. I'm especially I make my living using words and speaking. I tend to be quick to speak and slow to listen. He gave us two ears and one mouth. We should use them in that proportion. And um, in relationships, that means we listen. We're attentive. Let people finish their statements. Uh, be fully present without, um, in the meanwhile, while they're speaking, thinking of what you're going to say next. Um, Clarify their statements, reflect back to them. Choose the right time and place. Timing is important in these uh, loving, gracious confrontation appointments or the right time and, uh, and place. And here's one thing. Just write down and say to the Lord, I will believe the best about my opponent rather than the worst. Believe that somehow that they may have good motives. They just don't know how to do the right things. I mean, th- think the, believe the best. I'm going to believe the best about them. Plan your words. Use the Bible carefully. And what I mean by that is tend not to use it to beat the tar out of them uh, relationally. If you're going to use the Bible in your conversation, use it to describe how God in His Word has corrected you. It's way more powerful that way. And uh, use the Bible very carefully. Look for solutions and preferences. Because sometimes you can overlook an offense. And sometimes uh, your opponent uh, will respond to these one-on-one multiple conversations, one-on-one gentle, caring 
but con- uh, confrontation to get these things done. Sometimes your opponent will respond to these things uh, and admit their part of the, the dispute, but sometimes they won't. And when there's a le- they are legitimately contributing uh, in a major way to relational harm to you and, and other people, what do you do then? Well, you take the third step. Here it is. You take one or two others along with you. You take one or two others along with you. Jesus said it this way in um, Matthew 18, 15. In uh, 18, 15 through 17, if your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That just basically were two groups that were far from God back in that day. And um, pagans were unbelievers. Tax collectors were considered the worst sinners of the day by the Jewish people. And um, for those of you who work for the IRS, he's really not talking about you. Uh, But that's another talk for another time. We'll try to find a verse for you. So... uh, So he said the big point here is take one or two others along. He's saying this, sometimes you need to ask two or three others in the body of Christ, in your local church family, to help the two of you be reconciled, not to help you win an argument. The point is healing and reconciliation. The point is healing and reconciliation. And so what kind, what, what kind of people should these two, one or two others be? Well, jot this down. They should be neutral, uh, mutually respected friends. I mean, they, they should be people that you and your opponent in the conflict both admire, both trust, both love, and are loved by, uh, by them. Uh, people that would would come and sit between the two of you and say, now, I, 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 I know you both, I love you both, I'm committed to you both as a friend and a brother or a sister in Christ. And so now, how can I help the two of you untie this relational knot? That's, that's who you want in the room. Maybe, some, maybe somebody in your uh, life group and... Um, And you ask them to help you settle with each other what you cannot do, just the two of you. You've come to an impasse and you don't know what to do uh, next. God, most of the time, uses this to settle the issue. Most of the time, if if we will just go gently, graciously, speaking the truth in love just one-on-one, just between the two of us, 90% of the time, forgiveness can be offered and accepted and the relationship be resolved. There's a few more times it might need the two or three brothers or sisters in Christ to help us. Most of the time that does it. He says, now, if that does not do the work, if somebody in the conflict will not, they will sinfully refuse to respond and be reconciled, then you're to take it to the church family. And if they still don't respond, you treat them as if if they're an unbeliever because they're acting like they don't know the Lord. And even that is a move to try to get them to respond and the relationship be healed. The big point is peace and healing and reconciliation. 
And so some of you might be asking me, well, Keith, I, I got these first three steps here. I understand now. Glorify God, clean my own eyes. But now it's time um, to do some caring confrontation. How do I go about this? Well, the same way that we've been going about the other two steps. First of all, with a strategic question and then by being prayerful. Here's your question. First, ask this strategic question. You may want to jot this down. How can I help others to understand how they have contributed to this conflict. Now, how can I help my opponent understand how they have contributed? After I've already confessed my own part first, how do I do this? And then get the Lord's direction. Now, we can also do this by being prayerful. And so I want to lead you through uh, another time of prayer for these things. Um, So... Just turn again the place where you're seated into your own place of prayer. And then if this expresses the attitude of your heart, pray this after me to the Lord. Let's pray. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, in response to your love and in reliance on your grace, I commit myself to respond to conflict by choosing to glorify you by taking responsibility for my own contributions and by lovingly confronting my opponent. Help me. Help me so that I will not pretend that this conflict doesn't exist. Help me so that I will not talk about them behind their backs. Instead, with your help, I commit to choose to overlook minor offenses. Help me with this. I commit to talk directly and graciously with those whose offenses are too serious to overlook. Help me with this. And Lord, if if we can't resolve this matter in private, I commit to ask other Christians to help us settle this matter in a biblical way. So help me with this. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. And so now I ask you to empower me to do these things. As an act of faith, I thank you in advance. Now we're going to keep on praying. And let me speak to those of you who are not yet Christians. Some of you might be asking, well, Keith, how do, I, how do I even get the power to begin to behave this way? I seem not to have it. Well, it all begins by becoming a Christian. It all begins by uh, receiving Christ as your Lord and, and Savior. And so let me, let me explain this. Something may be going on in your heart and mind right now that, that you don't quite recognize. And here's what it is. In Jesus Christ, God the Father did something for you and me that we cannot do for ourselves. You see, Jesus, in Jesus, God became a man and lived a perfect life, left heaven and came to earth, was without sin, yet went to the cross because of our sin in our place to atone for our sin. And somehow, God the Father arranged that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, He took all the credit for all of the sin and guilt and shame of human beings Uh, upon himself and made appropriate payment for that sin. He atoned for it, satisfying his own demands of justice 
as he, he did that so that we would not have to, so that you would not have to. And then he rose again. He rose from the dead, proving that he was who he claimed to be, defeating the power of death, proving that he was God the Savior, that he does what he promises he'll do, proving he had the power that he claimed to have, the power to forgive our sin, the power to redeem us as sinners, set us free from the power of sin over our daily lives, to cancel our debt, to give us new life now and eternal life in heaven if we trust in Him. Now, some of you here are ready to say for the first time, I am now re- I got it. I understand it. I'm now ready to turn from my sin and give up control of my life in eternity and place my active trust in Jesus to save me, to forgive me, to lead me, to give me His gift of new and eternal life. And if you do that this morning... You're about to be transformed by the amazing grace of Christ, given His Holy Spirit, forgiven of your sin, given uh, the gift of being able to live in this life under His wonderful care, provision, and supervision, and given a home in heaven with Him when you die. You're about to become a new creation. And if that's you, if right now you'd say to me, Keith, I'm ready right now to give my life to God through Jesus. I, I want to give myself to Him. I'm ready to turn from my sin and submit control of my life in eternity to Jesus. Then if that's you, then all over this room, lift up your hands. I'm going to pray for you. Have people do this in the first service once again? Who? Anybody in the balcony? There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, then pray with me. There's nothing magical about these words, but if this, God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if this expresses the attitude of your heart, then make this your prayer to the Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and give you and, and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Now take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be as I serve you. Amen. Now if you've done that, congratulations. And uh, you've joined hundreds of us who've already made that commitment. There's one other thing that the Lord now uh, requires of us as an act of obedience, and that is to confess Him publicly before men. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. He said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus even instituted the method uh, that he desired to, for us to use to confess him publicly, to celebrate, uh, c- celebrate our new life in Christ. It's called baptism, believer's baptism. And we're prepared to help you celebrate your Christian baptism publicly. Now, what you've uh, personally established, we're prepared to do that uh, this very morning as you leave. When the service is over, here's what you do. You go right out these doors, right straight through the lobby, onto our patio and turn right, and you'll find yourself at our outdoor baptism area. 
Our baptism team, our, the men and women are there waiting for you right now, and we have everything there that you need to celebrate your, uh, and declare your new uh, life in uh, Christ. We have a change of clothes. We have towels. We have changing areas. We have people there to assist you. Uh, people are baptized and uh, celebrating their life in Christ after every service at our church. Six people after the 9:15 service this morning were baptized right out on our patio. Uh, you join them. You join them. It's an act of obedience. It's a command of our Lord. Uh, You'll find great joy. And by you having the courage to go public with your faith, you will inspire others to do the same, to do the same. So join them. Pray with me, and we'll celebrate. Lord, thank you that you've made a way not only for us to be reconciled to you through your work on the cross and resurrection from the dead, but you also now have made a way for us to be reconciled to each other. Make it so, we pray. And it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.